The reading this morning is from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1, then 16 through 18. Malachi 3, verse 1, 16 through 18. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Thanks, Mike. Well, looky there, we made it to Malachi. About that. If you think it's been a while waiting for a year to get almost to the birth of Christ, how'd you like to have waited from the time of Abraham to the time of Christ when he was born? I'll tell you what, they've been waiting a long time by the time Malachi came around. And he's got some work to do. He just does it in a short little book. And we're going to talk about that book this morning. But uh, Brother Todd led our thoughts this morning on the Lord's Supper and and uh, talked about how Christ had to overcome the greatest of obstacles. And one of the, one of the ways that you could say that is when, when the people tried to force Him to become their king, He refused the temporary kingship on this earth that could have been His. He could have reigned in great power with all the power of God. And He refused it to become a spiritual king to all people for all times, even us to this day. If he would have opted to obey the devil, his kingship would have begun and ended, and our king would not be the spiritual king he is today. And so Todd read that passage then about our labor not being in vain in the Lord, that he will come again, he's going to return. And Larry chose some songs, two songs I had not heard before, I don't think. Uh, which I love. You know, when I was younger, I used to say, oh, I want to sing my favorite songs. I love it when these guys get a hold of me before Sunday and, and we talk about what we're going to speak on. Now, you look at a couple of these selections, but especially 696, Till He Comes. And in the 1800s, men were writing about this coming of Christ and that this life is temporary. There were two or three songs there, and they were all speaking about, we can do this until He comes again. This isn't the place where we are to expect all the reward of God. This is our temporary home. And some of our favorite songs today are, This World is Not My Home, I'm Just Passing Through. Rodney prayed about that to remind us. Our service this morning has been focused on this idea. Some of it was intentional, some of it wasn't. Todd didn't know and Rodney didn't know what we were going to talk about this morning. But Malachi picks up the same task with a group of disparaged Jews who have returned to Jerusalem and to Judah and their homeland to rebuild it. And they've become discouraged because their king, who the prophets have been saying would come, and that God would say, when I bring you back to this place, this great thing will happen. It hasn't happened yet. In fact, it won't happen in their lifetimes. And here's where Malachi 
lifts them up and casts a vision and says, spiritual kingdom, spiritual king, behold, he is coming. He is coming. Now what we'd like to do today is take a look at some of the psychology of the people that were, were, were discouraged. They were waiting on the king. Now, they're waiting on his first coming. But Malachi even encourages them not only that, yes, he's coming. I'm going to send a messenger before him. We'll talk about that a little bit. But he lifts them up and says, he's going to return again and restore all things. He's going to make all things right. Without saying second coming, he's alluding in the, by the end of his book. And he just says, just hold on. Just and that's what we're left with until we get to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So we're at, we're at the point where God is speaking words that the last of which are going to go into writing. Now, I think there was some activity between God and the Jews. There are prophets and prophetesses, actually, who are awaiting the Christ to be born uh, that have been told by the Lord that they will see Him come. And so He's, he's talking with some people but as far as the writing prophets, the ones who were recording these things and putting them in a book, now listen, so you and I could open the thing in 2015 and understand that the spiritual kingdom is not yet, neither is our fullest glory known yet, but that we have all things that we need to have a covenant relationship with God, to go home and be with Him, we have it. Just hold tight. Hold on to what you have, Jesus told the church in Revelation. So now, I need my clicker today. I want to take a look at three things. Come on. New school's not working, neither is old school. I've only got one more slide, so with three clicks. So if I need you back there, guys, uh, go ahead and give me a hand. Um, three things mainly God does through Malachi. First of all, He reaches back and He reminds them, I have loved you. It's the first thing out of His mouth. I have loved you. First thing. Boom. And then He goes through and He says, let me, let me handle some of your accusations. Let me answer some of your tough questions. Some of them are good questions. I have some things for you to understand too. And then finally, he says, now let me reaffirm this promise and let me give you a glimpse of the glory yet to come so that you understand that this isn't all about you. It's not all going to happen in your lifetime. Okay? And, and my plan doesn't live and die with you people right now. It's bigger than this. It started in the garden in Genesis 3. When I said that the seed of a woman would crush his head, Satan's head, sometime in the future. And then I chose the man who I deemed to be faithful to begin this work with. His name was Abram. And I brought him to this land. And I promised that his descendants would multiply and become great. And from his descendants would come the one who would bless all the families of the earth. Just hold on. So that's kind of the setting of the book. And I tell you what, uh, 
We need to hear that too, don't we? Just terror now within our homeland, threats against our peace, even now our peace of mind. We've got all these things pressing so on us. And we're, we're starting, I think, to ask questions like, I wonder what God's thinking up there. What's He going to do about this stuff? Is there another world war on the brink here? God? 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 I need to know some of the lessons from the book of Malachi myself personally, and I hope you do too. I've loved you. You can back up one if you want, guys. I've loved you. That's the first thing I want to say. I want to affirm that. I want to etch into your mind that I've always loved you. I love you now, and I'll continue to love you. It's a perfect love. It's an eternal love. It's infinite. I don't run out of it. It's a choice I made. And that's what true love is. That's why God is love. Not that everything He does is nice and gravy and cush and soft. It's that everything is motivated for man's good. For man's good. And He said, I've always loved you in this way. They remain in the land of promise. He actually makes the argument and says, look over the mountain. Your brother Esau, your Jacob, Israel, your brother Esau, Edom, over the mountain. You both have been taken into captivity. You both have returned, but they're not being rebuilt. Did you notice that? Behold and see. They're not being rebuilt. I have loved you. I am keeping a promise because I chose to promise to Jacob that through his lineage, I would maintain this promise for the Christ to come. Not Esau. Jacob. And if you look over there across the river and across the Dead Sea and down into Edom, you'll see that I'm not with them talking with them right now. I'm here talking with you right now. So you need to understand that I've made a decision to love you. And this is the kind of decision we need when marriage covenants are made today between people, two people entering into a marriage covenant. I'm making a decision to love you. It's not based on how I emotionally feel right now. Most people on their wedding day would probably bail out if it was based on emotions, wouldn't they? They're scared to death. Can't say a word. It's based upon a choice. I've made a decision to do this. So he reestablishes this. But a loving God who has these expectations and has this great purpose for this people also demands an account for sin. He'll need to deal with their straying. Sin opposes God. It opposes love. Sin opposes true love. And in this case, it's once again skewed their image of God. It's clouded their understanding of covenant. And it's deferred their hope so that they become sin sick. It's like the wise man said, hope deferred makes the soul sick. They've deferred their hope. Well, where is this promise? And you remember when Jesus came, the disciples were always asking, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Will you be our king? 
can I sit at your right hand and your left and the king? Right? They were still expecting that when he came. Spiritual kingdom, guys. Spiritual kingdom. So we see this work being done and God is saying, you've got to see that this is a spiritual covenant. And God, they believed God didn't care anymore. But boy, were they wrong. This kind of reminds me of how Job went through this period of suffering. And he laid his case out. And he, I don't even know if you hear me. And all of a sudden, God speaks to him in a whirlwind. Speaks from a tornado. Boom! Oh, I'm here, I'm hearing you. And here he comes with Malachi and he says, God has spoken to me and says, I've loved you. Here's how. Secondly, he establishes that he will judge them. Go ahead and advance me one guy. I will judge you because I love you. Now, without going into a deep theological discussion on justice, love, mercy, grace, all these things, these, these things are, are compatible, that God loves and He holds accountable. Just like a parent who is deeply passionate about his children's well-being will hold them accountable for mistakes, even sins. So in a bullet point fashion, God displays His omniscience by answering many grievances that Israel has leveled against Him, whether in public discourses amongst each other or even in private thoughts in their head behind closed doors in a room where, like you and I, perhaps they've said at times, are you there? Or, maybe more affirmatively, why have you done this to me? And just like with Job, he shows up and he says, your list, let's go through them one at a time. And Malachi calls him up, boom, 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 boom. First of all, to the priests, to the priests. I've loved you, and yet you respond, in what way have you loved us? So they're asking the question, what way does God love us? And he explains to them that he's kept this covenant. I won't go into that any deeper. We've touched on that a little bit already. But I've kept this covenant. I've endured your unfaithfulness so that you would understand that every time I refer to what I'm doing for all nations, that this rises above you. I've loved you in that I've endured you. <laughs> I've loved you in that I've blessed you. I've loved you in that I've brought you back here. My love is unconditional in that I'm going to keep my promise. And again, I'll say to you, this is the same type of unconditional love we need to express toward our spouses and our children, toward our brothers and our sisters. It's unconditional. My love for you is not conditioned upon whether you're nice to me or not. I've made a decision. I'm going to love you. Whatever that entails and however that looks, I'm going to make decisions based upon the fact that I have been loved. God has asked me to love you. He's commanded me to love you. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to love my wife, whether she burns the toast or not, or whatever other things she does. I'm going to love her. I'm going to love my children, no matter how badly they mess up. I'm going to love them. However, however, whether they can experience the joy of relationship, of covenant relationship, whether they can receive blessing from me that I wish to bestow, whether you could do the same, whether you could receive a blessing from my hand, might be conditioned upon whether or not you desire to do so. 
See, I could try to love you and show it, but you could refuse it. That doesn't mean I have to change my mind about my decision. What it means is you've rejected it. My wife could do the same, and my children could do the same. If my child did that, it doesn't mean that I have to go down to the lawyer and say, hey, that will that we had written up a few years ago, I need you to wipe this one out because I'm angry. I'm just angry at him. Now, I could do that. I could choose to do that. I don't think it would necessarily always be wrong to do that. But it doesn't necessitate me doing that. See, I can still choose to love actively. But someone might say, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. And I could try to give them $10 or whatever it is that probably have it in my will at the end. I could try to give them that money. And they could refuse it. I don't know of anybody that does. <laughs> but the kid, but you get the point. And this is the type of love that God is saying, look, when you say, how have I loved you? Because you're not receiving the milk and the honey doesn't mean I don't love you. What it means is you're rejecting me. And not only are you not seeing the beauty of covenant, I actually am disciplining you. I'm withholding rain so that you have a little drought and you begin to hurt and you begin to say, maybe we need God. You know, can't thank a farmer for what ain't there. So there's a certain point where you start looking up and going, uh, we need rain. We can only... We can only cultivate so much here, right? And so God is actually actively disciplining them. So he says in uh, chapter 3, verse 6, take a look at that passage. This is a good one to remember. I am the Lord, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, you might expect him to put that into the, to the positive. I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore I will consume you. Think about this. I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. You are standing before me today. I have kept my promise to love you, and I said I was going to keep it. And I've got people that are going to be born yet in the world, clear over in Pickerington, Ohio, in fact, that need me to keep this promise. This is how I love you. I wanted to spend the most time on that one because I think that kind of is an underlying necessity that, that God has to reaffirm with His people and we need to have reaffirmed with us today. To the priests, chapter 1, verse 6, where is my honor, my reverence? You despise my name. Response, in what way have we despised your name? Well, let me count the ways. Number one, by offering defiled food on my altar. You're supposed to offer the best of the flock. You're bringing in the lame, the sick, the ones that you can't, you can't turn over a dime on. You're going to get rid of those out of your flock. You're bringing those up. He said, why don't you offer those to your governor, who might be Nehemiah at the time, or it might be his brother Hanani, is one of them. He said, why don't you offer those to the governor and see if he'll be pleased with them, or if he'll... Receive them from your hand. A sickly old mangled old uh, leg of lamb on his plate. Of course we wouldn't do that. He said, well, why would you think you could do that with me? I am a great king, he declares. They say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. We do this day after day, night after night. Look, we're still in the same condition. 
We bring the offerings to the temple. We make the morning and evening sacrifices. Why aren't things going better for us? Have you ever thought that about this table? I come to church. I take the Lord's Supper, a little cup and cracker. What's that do? I mean, really, what's it do? It's a little cup and a little cracker. And a sip. You know, what, where's God? Have you ever done that? Have you ever thought, oh, here we go again? Oh, this is the time of worship where we do this? And you're thinking about everything else? He's calling them out on his sacrificial table, table of showbread, places where offerings are, are put for him that are to be the best, that have deep spiritual significance, and he communes with them in that temple in the presence of them and receives that as a sweet-smelling aroma. He said, I, I hear you. You may not say it in those words, but you're saying, eh, it's a contemptible table. You offer the blind, the lame, and the sick, uh, verse 8. And you also say, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, verse 13. But he says, I am a great king, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Chapter 2, verse 7. The lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth, for he's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have shown partiality also in executing the law. Chapter 2, verse 9. And Judah has dealt treacherously. That word means deceitfully. So that I don't even receive the offerings from your hand anymore. Now, they say, for what reason? Chapter 2, verse 14. Well, well, well what do you mean? You don't accept the offerings from our hand anymore. For what reason? You've dealt treacherously in two ways. You've dealt treacherously with the wives of your youth. And then, what's more, on top of that, you've begun to intermarry with the pagan women again. Do you not know, and here's one of the most beautiful, yet the most humbling, and to many, a place that they would turn away from looking at. But one of the most beautiful descriptions of spousal, marital, covenant relationship in the Bible. Right up there with Ephesians 5. Right up there with Genesis 2. He says, you've dealt treacherously with the wives of your youth, your companion. You know that one I gave you so that you wouldn't be alone. And you've put her away. You priests. He's talking to the priests still. You priests have put away your wives. Your covenant partner. This is in Chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Your covenant partner, the one who Peter would later say that you would receive the grace of life together with. You, your spouse, and God relating. You've broken that. Your flesh and blood, the one to whom the two of you have become one flesh. You've interwoven your lives together and you've torn them apart. The Lord hates divorce, thus says the Lord of hosts, for it covers one's clothing with violence. How is that? I, I've seen people divorce and it, it, there wasn't battery involved. Two lives coming together. God's Spirit, the fourth thing, being shared with them to bless them. Even non-Christians... Just marriage. When two say, I do, and they come together, 
legally before God. He blesses that marriage. He said, when you divorce your spouse for any reason, he says, it's like tearing a garment in two. When the two are woven together like this and you try to separate that, it's, it's going to tear apart. It's not just going to snip, snip. It's going to tear apart. This is why the Lord hates it, is because it hurts people whom He loves. That's why He hates it. He doesn't hate the divorcee. He hates the act that tears people's hearts in two. And the last thing He says is, besides that, I want godly children to be raised by a mother and a father. And so, the best environment for that to take place is between a husband and a wife in committed covenant relationship with my blessing and their focus on me. If you're divorcing your spouse, you don't have that opportunity for your children to be blessed with sharp focus on God's love. You forfeit that. Wow. Okay, we get the point. To the priests, verse 17, you've wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied Him? Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, so you either say or think, and it's followed by this, where's the God of justice? Whoa, wait a minute. Now they were either saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord in the same sense that, that the prophet said that woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I don't think anybody just says that. I don't think anybody here would say that. But when we choose sin, what we're saying is this sin is good. I'm choosing it over God. I'm going to call it good. And the refusal of it to me is evil precisely what happens. Now, we don't usually say it, but we think it. And he says to these people about this obviously untrue statement that God has not come down to stop the social injustice yet. When you say, where is the God of justice? See, I think they were saying it because of the injustices that are going on. Well, you might as well call evil good and good evil. That's the context. Where's the God of justice? See, I don't think they were just saying it because they wanted to sin in this case. I think they're frustrated. They're frustrated with their culture. Do you feel with me on that one? They're frustrated with their culture. Why don't God do something about it? And this is where He turns and says, I see a need to lift your spirits up figuratively and literally and have you looking ahead to what's coming. And so... You've robbed me. Whoa, what do you mean we've robbed you? You've, you've gotten your priorities backwards. This is the problem. You've emptied out the storehouse, and when you read Nehemiah 13, you realize that Tobiah the Ammonite moved in to the storehouse of the temple. They put all the place where the first fruits were to be brought in and offered, and the Levites to eat. And Nehemiah records that they cleared that out and gave Tobiah the Ammonite a room at the inn, if you will. He says, bring the first fruits in the, into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. 
get the big priorities down first, and then the small things will begin to trickle down. He says in one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in chapter 3, verse 10, try me now in this. You try it. Get your priorities right and try this. And see if I will not open for you, and with the same language that he talks about the heavens opening up, and the rain coming down out of the windows of heaven upon the earth in a crashing flood, with the same language, he says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you so that you won't be able to fill the room or you won't have enough room to fill with, with the, the blessings that I'll bless you with. Try me now in this and see. You do this and I'll do my part. Wow. That's how we've robbed God. <laughs> yeah, you've kicked him out of the temple. And to all, one last psychological issue. They said in chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, their thinking was, it's a spiritual issue really, God says, your words have been harsh against me. Pretty harsh accusing me of not loving you, accusing me of not being here, accusing me of not doing my part when you're just you're not obeying. Pretty harsh against me. And they say, what have we spoken against you? And God said, you said it's useless to serve God. You either said that with your lips or you're thinking it in your minds, but it's useless to serve God. The proud are blessed, the wicked are exalted, and they even tempt God and go free. God must not care. And so he picks up, go ahead and put that third one up there. And he says, I need to show you that it's not useless. In chapter 3 and verse 1, where our reading was this morning, God said, said to them after this question of where's the God of justice, behold, I'll send my messenger. Small m. And he'll prepare the way before me. Small h, who's the messenger that prepared the way of the Lord? It's John, isn't it? John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple, even the messenger, big M, of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So He's coming. Secondly, it's useless to serve God. Chapter 3 and verse 16. Here are those segment of people among God's children who held on to pure thinking, righteous living, healthy, a healthy relationship with God. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. Who else are they going to speak to? A bunch of discouraging people? They found each other. Did you notice that? They found each other. And they spoke to one another. What did they speak? Words of encouragement. Hey, this isn't God's fault. It's us. They spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them over all the chatter. It's useless to serve God. Where is God? How have you loved us? In what way have we defiled your name? Why don't you accept our offerings? Blah, blah, blah. He hears over here a group of people, and he said, Get a book, write their names in a book of remembrance before me. A book of life. Write their names down. 
For those who fear the Lord and meditate on His name, they shall be mine. They shall be mine on the day that I'll make them my jewels, and I'll spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. In other words, I will save them. Then you shall again. There's, this is a really important word now to understand this. Then. Then, on that day when I recall in the book of remembrances, on that day when I shall save them like a man spares his own son, they shall be my sons and daughters. On that day when I make them my jewels, the jewels of my crown, you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked. In other words, you just, you just may not be able to tell right now while you're here. The wicked are lifted up, the proud are, are the uh, humble are oppressed, and those who tempt the Lord go free. Where's God? Why doesn't He send some lightning bolts down? He says, let me tell you something. There will be a day come. Behold, the day is coming, chapter 4, verse 1, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day is coming, uh, which is coming shall burn them up says the Lord of hosts, sounds like a reference to hell to me, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But you who fear my name, to you the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in His wings. What's He going to heal? All the wrongs, all the ills, all the things that are upsetting us so. He'll heal that. He'll heal our sins as well. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked. Listen to this language. They shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this. Remember the law of Moses, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet. And the Lord will later say to his disciples, if you're willing to accept it, the Elijah to come is John the Baptist. I told him that. Matthew 17. I'll send him before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Behold, he's coming. But behold, you need to understand. Church, let's just wrap it up with this statement. You need to understand. This is not heaven. This is not intended to be heaven. This is a place, this is a place for shaping. This is a place for us to be tried and made true. This is a place where our character is built and we choose God or deny God. For that day when he comes again to make jewels in his crown, then all things will be restored as they were to the garden. They'll be restored in full. Not now. Not yet, Larry, the songs that you chose. When he comes, Todd, the scripture that you read, when the Lord comes again, that's when it'll all be made right. Right now, be faithful. We're going to sing the song that Larry's chosen for us to sing. And at this opportunity, uh, if you need to become a Christian and be saved as a man saves his own son, so the Lord will save you, please let that be known today. Let's stand and sing.